Well, again, good morning, everyone. So I know I'm going to get a rhapsodic uh, uh, response in just a moment, but how about those who's beating the devils yesterday? It just sounds better. What's that? Oh, there we go. But all I would say is, is that it always sounds better. Instead of UVA beating Duke, it sounds better to say that the Cavaliers beat the devil. Doesn't it? Apologies to any of you who went to Duke. Sort of. So listen, what we're doing as a church family is we are in, a, in the midst of a sermon series that's entitled, Why Church? Why Church? And ostensibly, I know, it's almost like preaching to the choir, because if you're here, you kind of agree with Why Church. But the reality of it is, is any organization can have what's called vision or mission drift. It's where you start out, you have vision and mission, and you're tracking, and people are in alignment, and then over time, you can just get what's called sideways energy. It's where things kind of get out of alignment, and I just felt like in my heart that it would be important for us as a church family to look again at the whole reality of why church, why we do church, specifically why we gather together on Sunday morning. Now... What I'm going to tell you is, is at the end of my message, there's someone that's going to come up and kind of share some things with us, and just to let you know, it'll have nothing to do with my sermon whatsoever, but there's something that we're going to kind of practice as a church family, and so I'm just letting you know at the beginning of my message that that will take place near to the end. What I want to talk about this morning when we talk about why church is going to be difficult for some of us. But why church this morning is going to focus on forgiveness. Forgiveness. And what I know is at the outset, when I say that word, it kind of conjures up all different types of views or visions or thoughts about relationship, about life, about your personal history. But I believe one of the key reasons for the church is forgiveness. I really do. And as we journey together, we're going to discover why that is. Now, we're going to begin with a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And the reason why is because the scripture we're getting ready to look at at the outset, we're going to look at several this morning, is that when you look at this scripture, you're going to realize right away that forgiveness is not an easy thing. So if you have a Bible, grab one or open your smartphone to Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 3. I should, yeah, verse 3, Luke 17, 3. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, if your brother or sister, now let's push the pause button. That includes everyone. You is one or you is the other. You are either a brother or a sister. Let's read it again. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. 
whoa. Some of us go, I don't like conflict. I avoid it every chance I get. When you think about rebuking someone, you think, I would just simply never do that. It's not within my Christian constitution to rebuke someone. And yet here at the outset, Jesus says, if someone has sinned against you, you're to let them know. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's going to get more difficult than that, so let's move on. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles said to the Lord, oh Jesus, help us. Only it's phrased a different way. Increase our faith. And the truth of it is, that's where most of us should be sitting right now. How in the world does this work? Where you've got someone in your life, and you share with them what they've done wrong, and they do it seven times in one day, and they approach you, or you approach them, and they say, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. This reminds me of my marriage. Not from Fran to me, but from me to Fran. But when you think about life, Jesus says that if there's someone in your life and they sin against you and they say, please forgive me, and they do it seven times in one day, you're to forgive them. What you would discover as we read the Newer Testament, we're going to read some other passages, being a person who forgives is the expectation of every follower of Jesus. It's the expectation. It's a tough one. I grew up in a home. My last name is Hartwig. And my father used to have a saying, and it would go something like this, Hartwigs do such and such. Hartwigs work hard. Hartwigs get up early, and they feed the animals on the farm. Hartwigs have chores, lots of them, and do not expect to get paid. That's what Hartwigs do. Another thing my father said, ever since I was young, my dad would say this, Hartwigs leave home when they are 18. <laughs> That's what he said. You see, there was an expectation that my father and my mother were going to raise us, and by the age of 18, we had better have figured out life, because when you turn 18, you're leaving. You're gone. Here was another expectation. You're going to go to college. That was an expectation in the Hartwig home. My dad said, Hartwigs, go to college. And so what he said was, you better do well enough in high school in order to be able to go to college. These were Hartwig expectations. How many of you grew up in a home where there were expectations? Raise your hand. How many of you, when you first heard them, you thought, I don't think so? Raise your other hand. How many of you now sitting here are a little bit older and you appreciate those expectations? 
Isn't that funny how that goes? Listen, there is a follower of Jesus expectation, and it's this, that you and I will be forgiving people. We will. It's an expectation. Now listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't made that choice yet, you're still checking out who Jesus is, you're off the hook. But what I will tell you, it's a better way to live. Way better. So the disciples say to Jesus, wow, if someone in my life offends me over the same issue seven times and they say, please forgive me, and then Jesus, you're telling me that I have to forgive them every single time. Jesus says, yep, that's how this works. And they say, oh Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Now here is the question. Why is it that there's this God who through his son says that you and I, if we're going to follow him, must be forgiving people? It's because God is a forgiving God and his people must reflect him. And so there are these Older Testament passages in the book of Isaiah that I want to draw our attention to in order for us to understand this God who calls us through his son to be a forgiving people. It's found, the two passages are found in the book of Isaiah. Why would I quote from the book of Isaiah? It's simple. Isaiah is the most quoted book in the Newer Testament other than the book of Psalms. Isaiah is referenced over and over by Jesus himself. And there are two passages of Scripture I want you to read them with me. Let's read the first one. I'll talk about it, and then we'll read the second one. Here's the first one. Let's read it out loud. Here's what God says. Are you ready? Let's read. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In other words, your sins are messy. Mine are messy. But God makes a declaration that that at some point in the future, God would do something that would literally transform the look of my sin. Then let's read the next passage in Isaiah 43, 25. Here's what God says. Let's read it together. I... Even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. That's impressive. You see, the, verse, the first verse says, God makes this invitation to you and to me at the beginning of the book of Isaiah. And he says, listen, come now, grab a seat, we're going to talk about your sin." what we're going to do. That's the greatest fear of every person. Look, when I was a small child, I went to a church, and I can remember clearly the pastor preaching a message on sin, and here's what he said. He said this, there will come a day where you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, and you're, and he had that deep preacher's voice, and he said this, and everything you've ever done wrong is going to be played on a huge screen. For everyone in eternity to watch. Oh, good Lord. 
increase my faith. But here God says that in the future there would come a time, and he says, look, sit down, come here next to this table, and we're going to talk about your sin. We have a matter to settle, God says, and the person stands up next to this table, and God looks at them, and instead of having a conversation, just God, God just simply says this, your sins like red, it's going to become white as snow. Your sin that is blood red will become white as wool. Now go away. It's not even a conversation. It's a declaration of a forgiving God. That's how it works. Then, the other passage says that God is a God that for his name's sake, not yours, but for his, he will blot out our transgressions, and then this is huge. He remembers your sin no more. That's power. You don't have the power to do that. God does. God has the power to take a sin that Pete Hartwig confesses and repents of, and he is able to forgive me of it and remember it no more. That's power. That's power. I don't have that kind of power, but he does. And the old saying is, is that when I repent of a sin and I bring it to God, if I bring it up the next time and I go, oh God, please forgive me because what I said to my wife Fran and how I said it, please forgive me. God goes, I don't remember it anymore. The next time I show up and I repent of my sin, God goes, don't even know what you're talking about. Can't remember. I've erased it. Let me explain. That's a forgiving God. That's a God who has the power to authentically and completely forgive you and forgive me. You see, that's the God that we follow when we follow Jesus. Now, speaking of Jesus, let's pick up what Jesus had to say again about forgiveness. There's two verses I want us to look at. Forgive and forgiven is the title of these two verses. Here's what the scripture says. Jesus speaking in both of these says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And in case you think, wow, Jesus only said that once, I'm off the hook, let's go to another gospel. Luke 6.37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and what's the next verse? And you will be forgiven. Now, I don't know how you are, but that seems a little harsh to me. Does it not? God's a God who forgives. God's available to forgive. God has forgiven Pete Hartwig of his sins through Jesus. I'm well aware of this, and yet Jesus shows up and he says the following. If Pete Hartwig refuses to forgive others, then God's forgiveness is stymied towards him. Why? Why is that? It's simple. Forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom of God. It's the currency. It's the cash flow of God's kingdom. And so, 
if I refuse to forgive, the currency stops. Now, I know some people are sitting here saying, no, 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 Pete, it's love. Love is the currency of the kingdom of God, and I get that. Not a wrong answer. But here's what I'm going to say to you very, very clearly, is that forgiveness is what makes love work and sustains it. It does. How many of you sitting here are next to someone that you're in love with and you've been together for more than five years? Raise your hand. Now, with the other hand ready to shoot up in a moment, keep your hand raised. With the other hand, how many of you recognize that love is awesome, but love also takes forgiveness in order to maintain it? Raise your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Increase our faith. You see, forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom of God. When I first laid eyes on my wife, Fran, we were at a picnic in grad school. I saw her. I threw a softball to her. She threw it back to me, and she threw it at me on a rope. That thing came whizzing in, smack into the glove. She was cute. It's called initial attraction. And then I worked it out to where I got to sit next to her in chapel. And I loved every pastor that said, please hold the hand of the person next to you. <laughs> I would hold her hand and I would feel the presence of Jesus come all over me. It's initial attraction. And then we started hanging out. Then we started dating. We dated for almost five years, and then we got married. Don't recommend it. It's just what we did. And I found out pretty quickly into marriage that love demands forgiveness. It demands it. And without any forgiveness, love gets short-circuited. The tires go flat. It doesn't work. Because love can feel and begin with an initial attraction, but in order to sustain it over the long haul, people who love and people that follow Jesus live in a constant state of ready forgiveness. That's how it works. Now, I would say it this way. Forgiving is to love as helium is to a balloon. Forgiveness is to love what uranium rods are to a nuclear reactor. Forgiveness is to love what gasoline is to a car. Forgiveness is to love whatever you want to fill in the blank. And you'd say, Pete, that is so dorky. I did it intentionally. Because you'll remember some dorky things. And I want you to remember that forgiveness is to love as breath is to human life. Now, reading on, there's another reality that Jesus brings to us about forgiveness. It's found in Matthew chapter 18, and Jesus gives us a forgiveness parable and in the midst of that parable, the Bible tells us 
It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but what does the NIV say? Seventy-seven times. Let me be blunt, they're a bunch of chickens. Because look at the footnote in your Bible under footnote A, and at the bottom of the page, it says this, or 70 times 7. You see, the NIV translators looked at that and said, 77 is so much better than 490. Isn't that what 7 times, yeah, it is, 70 times 7. I had to think the math there for a second. Seventy times seven is really what Jesus meant, believe me. Four hundred and ninety times, if someone offends you, you forgive them. Here's what I want to say. Some of you sitting here already know the person that you're refusing to forgive. You can hear their voice when you close your eyes. You can hear what they've said to you. You can replay what they did to you or what they didn't do to you. You can picture them. You can hear their voice. Here's what I want to say. People will say, you know what? I'm willing to forgive someone, but it's only a certain person I'm going to forgive, and I don't want to forgive someone else. I don't want to forgive them. What they did to me, no possible way. I'm not going to forgive them. Well, let me inform you of something that's true. A lack of forgiveness inevitably turns to bitterness and anger, and it creeps over the wall of one relationship into the next. The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. It grows. It bears fruit. And I'm just going to put this out there to those of you who are in college. I've been around college students now for 30 years, served as a chaplain for the first 10 at a university, and it stunned me how many college students are bitter against their parents, bitter. There's this seething anger towards their parents. Forgive. There's another thing that I've noticed is funny enough, it always doesn't come out in anger. I used to think that's how it always showed up, but it doesn't. You know how else it shows up? People who are emotionally numb. They haven't forgiven. They've just grown numb. They've lost joy in their relationships, and they've lost joy in life. They're numb. So that they don't feel the pain, and they don't feel, they just simply go numb. And yet Jesus shows up and says 490 times, forgive. But here's what I also know. If some people know your story and you have a rough story and you're feeling led to forgive someone because of what they did to you or someone that should have done something for you and they didn't and you know that you need to forgive them, if other people know the story, I'm going to tell you, when you forgive them, you know what they're going to think and what they're going to say to you? What about your rights? Your rights were violated. They're also going to say to you, you're going to get walked on. 
they're also going to think to themselves, you're weak. You're weak. That's why you forgive. You're weak. You're going to get walked on. What about your rights? Jesus never even comments on that. He just says, forgive 490 times. And oh, by the way, love keeps no record of wrong. So, people that would look at you and say that, my gut is, they've never come to the cross of Jesus. When I was a preteen boy, on our farm in Nina, Wisconsin, I had been in church for about a year, and I began to hear the gospel of Jesus. And I was there on the top 10 acres of our farm as a preteen boy, and I was walking, and the reality of what Jesus had done for me on the cross began to hit my soul. And so there in the stubble hayfield that had just been cut, I stopped, and I came before the cross of Jesus. It's where I ended up. I came to the cross. And I knew two things. Number one, I had been part of putting him there because of my sin. I knew that. I also knew that he willingly went there so that I could be forgiven. And I can remember as a preteen boy, and I didn't have any marketable sin, nothing that's novel-worthy or headline-worthy, I came to the cross and I confessed my sins to Jesus, and I asked him to forgive me of my sins. And there in that hayfield, I went before the cross of Christ, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, became so real to me. And it's this, the cleansing of my conscience before God. I felt the burden of my sin cleansed, removed. You can't do that through self-talk. You can't do that by denying your sin. That's what happens when you you come before a forgiving God and you stand before the cross and say to yourself, you know what, Jesus, I put you there. Please forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteous lists, and there and then I had new life. I had new life in Jesus. I don't know how to explain it any other way than this. For the rest of my life, someone else has always been with me. Jesus has been with me from that moment on for the rest of my life, and that's the only way I can explain it. He's been with me ever since. And in that moment... I felt the physical cleansing of my conscience before God. Forgiveness is real. It's real. Why do I reference that? It's because if you've stood here like I have, I know the power of forgiveness. It's the currency of the kingdom of God. And so once I've stood here, then to turn to someone else, and say, I forgive you, becomes so real and so freeing. But I want you to remember something. When Jesus was on the cross and my sin put him there, here's what he said. Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. 
And then the scripture says, they divided his clothing and cast lots for it. They knew exactly what they were doing. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In other words, Jesus prayed a blessing over those people that were cursing him and torturing him and giving him every reason why not to forgive. Instead, Jesus prayed blessing. And what I want to present to you, that's the final step of forgiveness. Forgiveness is when I recognize God through the cross has forgiven me and I have this cleansed conscience and God truly remembers my sin no more. Gone. He can't find it. He does not remember it. My sin that was blood red is now white as wool. And here I am at the cross and while I'm there dealing with my sin, there's a voice that speaks over me that says, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. And so you see, the final step of forgiveness is where I've been to the cross myself. Now I set someone else free because God has set me free. The currency of forgiveness flows from me to others so that they're now free. And when that begins to happen, the final step is to pray a blessing over that person. Because here's why. Some of us have forgiven people but we're longing for the day of God's judgment to crush them. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to forgive you, but I can't wait for the day that God's flamethrower just burns you to a crispy critter. What does it say here? Jesus, for no reason at all, other than because of love and forgiveness, was crucified on a cross. And in the midst of that, he said, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. You see, in life, that phrase comforts me, but it also confronts me. It comforts me because I know Jesus said that over me and he said it over you. It comforts me, but it also confronts me and calls me to be a person that does what Jesus did, and that is to forgive. The only person that can forgive is the person who feels the pain of the offense. The only person that can truly forgive is the person that's truly wounded. They face the pain. They feel the pain of it. And then because of Jesus, they choose to forgive. Why, church? Forgiveness. That's why. Forgiveness that you and I in church are called to bring our sins to Jesus and to find forgiveness. And then also to be a group of people who forgive others. That's why, church. Because I can guarantee you that outside of church, people will whisper in your ear, go get your revenge. Your rights have been violated. Get them back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And the old ancient theologian said, if we all lived that way, we'd be blind and toothless. Jesus has a better way. Forgive. Forgive. On the ends of the rows, you'll see a little packet of Post-its 
I'm going to ask that the person closest, if you would grab it. Some of you might have to get up and move a little bit. And hand one to each person. Just pass it down the line. And you're going to need this post-it as we close. Does everyone have a post-it? Anyone still need a post-it? You know what's coming next already, don't you? The Bible teaches us that faith without works is dead. And Jesus' disciples said, Oh Lord, increase our faith. Is there someone in your life that you know you need to forgive? You know it. This morning, before we exit, I'm going to ask that you would take a step of faith to forgive them. To forgive them. And how we're going to do that is very simple. Find a pen. Borrow a pen. What I'd like you to do is write the initials of that person. If there's not enough room on the front of the post-it for the initials you need to write, it's double-sided. You can put initials on the back as well. But what I can say is for some people in this room, this is extremely serious. Because you have warmed your soul by the fire of unforgiveness long enough. It's time to do it the Jesus way. Because it's the best way. And so what I'm going to ask that you would do is that you would put initials of that individual or those individuals that you need to forgive. And as the worship team begins to lead us in worship, I'm going to ask you to make the long, arduous journey down front, and I'd like you to place your post-it on the ground or stick it on the cross and leave it here and go back to your seat. But only do it if you're serious about forgiving. Only do it. Don't do it for show. Don't do it for any other reason. Then you clearly understand that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take a step towards forgiveness. What I also know is some of you are going to have to take a longer journey than others. Some of you are sitting right up front. It's a quick journey. For others, you, it's a long way to walk. But as the worship team now begins, if you've got someone in your life that you need to forgive, I want to encourage you to come on forward. Now, if you're unable to do that, look at someone who's able to walk for you and hand them your post-it and they'll bring it down front and they'll affix it to or lay it at the foot of the cross. As the worship team leads us, I'm going to encourage you to do that now if God is prompting you.